Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Hey, good morning. It's good to be here with y'all. Uh, I always love uh, diving into the Word with, with my family uh, as we just walk through whatever the Lord puts uh, on our hearts to, uh, to step into. We just finished our Love, Give, Serve series, and and now we're going to go into a really uh, lighthearted book called Zephaniah from the Old Testament. Anybody who's read it, it's like, he's a liar. <laughs> Zephaniah is an interesting one. Uh, for two plus chapters, it is like, whoa. Um, I think one of the things I really, really love about our church is that we just want to walk through the gospel, uh, the, the, the entire gospel together. And, and we're not afraid of hard books or hard chapters uh, if you look up commentaries on Zephaniah, you find 55,000 on Zephaniah 3 and 4 on Zephaniah uh, 1 through 3, uh, because nobody wants to talk about the, oh, my word part, uh, but we're going to get into that today, so we have three weeks in Zephaniah together, and in it, we are going to see the heart of a loving God who loves to save and truly hates sin and evil because of what it's done to those he loves and that he loves to save. Um, so give a little background on this Old Testament book. It's called A Minor Prophet, not because it's lesser, but if you know anything, the minor prophets are the smaller ones. Um, so there's just a shorter book than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, so it's called A Minor Prophet. So if you look at, uh, in 2 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 34, you see the story of Josiah, uh, the king of Judah. He's uh, famous uh, in a lot of ways because he became king at eight years old. Um, I have a nine-year-old. I cannot imagine him running my country. Uh, and then last night I was like, well, maybe I can't. No, I won't say anything. No, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. I'm coming to the altar. Uh, but... <laughs> So his dad and granddad were evil. His dad was so bad they assassinated him so they could have an eight-year-old king. That's how bad uh, his lineage was right there. Um, So at eight, he becomes king. At 16, he began to pursue God. There was something stirring in him. It's very uh, very likely that uh, early on in his his reign that Zephaniah wrote what we are going to read today. Um, and something, maybe something in that eight years was sparked by the words of Zephaniah, which are hard. Um, so we're going to take these three weeks and we're going to study this very loud Old Testament book. And the series is titled Hidden, as you would have seen on the screen. Uh, and the big idea today is that nothing can remain hidden. Judgment comes. It comes uh, on those who live in sin and those who continue to live without uh, uh, Jesus being the Lord and Savior at the cross that we're going to celebrate next month in a hyper fashion in a great way at Easter, we see that judgment came on Jesus for the sin of the entire world. All of mankind, past, present, and future sin uh, uh, was was satisfied, the the wrath of God satisfied with the judgment laid on Jesus so that we could all be saved, but we have to, of course, choose that. So judgment comes, and sin still has consequences, but God always promises that he will respond 
to a humble heart and restore those who come to him with humility, in humility, in repentance, arms open, eyes up, understanding that he's the only one who can. Hidden. We are, it's interesting because nothing will remain hidden, but at the same time we're hidden and protected and kept safe, covered in God if we so choose. If Jesus is our savior, we're, we're hidden there and only we can remove ourselves from that covering at any time. And even in the midst of the punishment that they fully deserved that Zephaniah was writing about, he brought them hope that only God can bring. We're gonna hear about it a little, a little more focused in week three, but this week and next week, we're gonna see what God's heart is, even in the midst of harsh, hard and harsh words. God's grace is still given to anyone who wants to accept it. So Zephaniah has, is calling God's people to this relentless hope in the God of justice and joy. And I love the God of justice because Jesus took my punishment. So the justice side of this holy God who can't be in the presence of sin was satisfied on Jesus at the cross so that I could step into the joy of knowing God, of being set free, of not having sin have a, a hold in my life and of having a hope and a future. But hard words can still sting a little bit, which is why today is called tough love. And a lot of us have heard that term over the years. Uh, some of us grew up in those kinds of homes, and it's like, I think the tough is more important than the love to you, uh, for those of us that grew in, up in those homes. But, but what it is is, hey, this is big stuff. So hear me, because I want to save you. The love part already always overrides the hard part or the tough part when it comes from God. And you know what? Accountability is not a bad thing at all. A lot of people are like, accountability is so mean. No, maybe you just need to hear it. I mean, I've been there in my life too. When it's like, wow, you're picky. And it's like, well, but you're sinning. I'm like, yeah, but you're still picky. Uh, so we're gonna read this long chapter together real quick. Uh, and, and then we're gonna uh, tear some of it apart together. So it's, I don't know, 17, 18 verses. 18, okay, that's good. All right. So we're going to read this together. I'm reading in the NIV today. It says, The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah. I'm just saying it like I mean it. Uh, the son of Amariah. I got that one. Son of Hezekiah. So the great king Hezekiah was his great, great granddad. So he's related to Josiah as a distant cousin. During the reign of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host. Those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech. Those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. 
On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all who clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods and with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. He will make, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. Whoa. I asked Josh to write a hymn about this, and he wouldn't. Um, that's, a hard, that's hard. Like, that's in the Holy Scriptures. That's in the word of the Lord for us. That's in this word that is alive. This, that this is the, the narrative of Jesus Christ from Old Testament to new. And certainly Zephaniah can feel like gloom and doom, especially this chapter. And then I think next week is a little harder, personally. <laughs> Don't worry, come. But at the same time, we do see the passionate and pursuing heart of the Father who deals with the wickedness of sin and evil to save his people. I mean, he says, hey, I don't want you to remain there, so I'm telling you what will come should you live in that. Zephaniah's name actually means the Lord has hidden or the Lord who hides. And like I said earlier, we can, we can you know, ha- have this, this hiddenness of stuff that gets seen and shown and, and highlighted or, or we can hide ourselves in God. I can run and hide when I'm living wrongly or I can run and hide under the shadow of the Almighty. Those are my choices. And there's no in-between. You know, we have this picture of like a mother hen or birds with their wings. I'm not really a bird guy, but I know they cover, uh, you know. Uh, So that that hiddenness that is safe, that's what he wants for us. Hey, Zephaniah, your name is, the Lord has hidden. And and I want to save people so that I can be their Lord, so they can hide in safety under me. Not hide from a lost world, but hide in safety to live out their lives for the sake of the gospel. And, and we have this dilemma in life where you have to live a righteous life in order not to be judged for sin, but you can't do it. So there's this crazy eternal dilemma. I, I can't do it. 
And so you're gonna judge sin. And he says, but here's the thing. Just accept my son and his righteousness becomes yours. That's what happened at the cross. That's the great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He took all of the sin in my life and he put it on his back. And then he said, here's all of my beauty and righteousness, Scott. All you have to do is accept the gift, open it, and live out of that. So you either run and hide, which started with Adam and Eve in the garden, so it is in the old human DNA, or you find yourself hidden in Jesus and you let his righteousness speak for you. At 26, so Josiah's king at eight, at 16, he begins to pursue God. At 26, his people, his spiritual leaders find the book of the law. This had just been lost in the storage room, in essence. So they find the book of the law and they hear this warning that was similar to what, what Zephaniah wrote here, saying, hey, if you don't return to the ways of following God, this stuff's gonna fall on you. So it's so cool, Josiah took... All the people, it says, from Judah, the two tribes, and, and Jerusalem, and they all went up to the temple. Now, I know they're a small nation. There's two tribes, and, and, and it's not like, the, you know, not like gathering all of, you know, China or something together, but also you didn't get to spread the news through email. So, so they gather, and they all go up to the temple together, from the greatest religious and political leaders to the, the lowliest person in the nation, they all gathered and went up together and they humbled themselves at the temple of the Lord. They knelt together. They were broken before God. They sought his forgiveness. They owned sin issues. They prayed. They waited Josiah's desire and the people's desire was to repent for their sinful ways and to honor the covenant that the nation had with God. And then everything false, it says, was torn down. All the, all the wicked, uh, religious, spiritual, pagan leaders were, were destroyed. I'm guessing heads literally rolled no more idols in the way. No more listening to anyone that said anything that didn't have to do with God himself, the one true God. We saw repentance. We saw obedience from their lives. We saw action behind it. Because it's one thing to repent of my sins. It's another thing to put action behind it and walk a different way. Repentance is really twofold. I humble myself and I seek forgiveness, and then I turn and I walk against what was my sinful life. So they repented, and they, they obeyed the word, and they began to live differently from there. And then we see worship break out from their lives. We see, we see a, a reformation, a revival happen in their nation for a time, even in the midst of all the decades of, of following false gods and all the messiness that came with that. It wasn't like all of a sudden, hey, we repented, there's no more problems and no one even thinks wrong anymore. They had to, to deal with a, with a culture shift and a mind change and a repentant uh, you know, overcoming of their lives to move into something. It wasn't this, hey, one day we did this and then the next day we never had a problem again. It, it gets a little messy. Following Jesus can be a little messy because we're human and so we have our own stuff we gotta deal with. They had been living in this fog of life. 
this complacency, being ignorant, doing whatever they wanted, pursuing whatever tickled their ears. We see that similarity today. We see many living with this kind of smug satisfaction of doing, doing whatever they want to do and then saying, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe. We, hate, we see people living wrongly by pursuing Jesus and all this other stuff that I really want, I really need, I really like. Uh, I like Jesus, but I, I love this too. So I'll just do both. Well, you can only pursue Jesus or you pursue something else. There's no Jesus and in life unless the and is filled with the leading of the gospel in a disciplined life of being the, a light to the nations, of being uh, the, the walking billboard of Jesus from your life. So many today are, are living this lie that says, oh, I can do both. I believe and I love Jesus and I certainly love all this stuff. And so my devotion is to Jesus these, this time and then my devotion is to these things during this time. You can't live double-minded and double-hearted. And so God speaks a tough love word and says, there's a better life for you in me and from me, but I've gotta be your God only. You cannot live with feet in both worlds. It will shred you. It will split your soul. It will water down your life and then you will be nothing but whatever you make of your life and your legacy will be you instead of me. And he wants the legacy to be him because in that is the only place we discover our purpose and live in the joy of Jesus. And if God didn't love his people, he would just let them be afflicted by their own mistakes and say, good luck, figure it out yourself then. But he's never like that. He's never like I am sometimes. You want to get sticker burrs? Go ahead, run around without shoes on. Actually, my wife says that to me. But, uh, you know, I'll, fine. You want to break that and not have a toy? Fine. I, I'm very human as a dad sometimes. And God says, no, I, I, I will not let you rest and live from your sin issues. I love you too much and I know what's best and I know what's eternal. And so I'm gonna point this stuff out because I'm gonna give you an opportunity with your free will to worship me and I'm the only one worth worshiping. So in verses one through three that we read, it starts off, I mean, he starts off heavy right away. God warns his people, nothing is hidden from me. Nothing is hidden from me. Everything is revealed to God and everything is revealed by God in his timing and in his manner. And it can feel harsh, but his heart is always to free us from any bondages that, that we, we find ourselves in, that we step into, that we try to live from or, or just exist in. And, and those tough words that speak hey, this isn't life and it's only going to bring destruction in your life, those tough words are actually love and grace. A loving God filled with grace for us who wants to favor us says, hey, here's the reality. And, and it's so that we can be awakened, so that we can be healed, so we can be set free because only he can deliver us. Even if I wanted to, I cannot set myself free. 
And if I wanted to set myself free and I thought I could do it, then I'd just be digging a deeper grave or putting up more bars in my prison. We've got to be honest before the Lord because that's when healing comes. I, I am stuck here. I, I am doing this. I am thinking this. I am living in this way. Help me. Help me is one of the most honest, powerful prayers you could ever pray. I love the guy talking to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. That's such a prayer. It applies to every one of us. I believe, help my unbelief. I love you, I'm stuck here, help me God. And he says, I can work with that. I can work with that. But if it's like, I love you, I got this. He's like, ooh, let me read Zephaniah over you. Verse, verse seven says to be silent before the Lord. He's saying, hey, meditate, pray, listen. Don't just run and act and do right away. Stop, take some time. Be still and know that I am God. By the way, it means you're not. Let God take the reins. Center your life and your focus on him. This is true humility. When I stop and I pray and I go, speak to me. Say what you need to say to me. That's true humility. And, and when we're humble before God, James tells us that we are fully empowered by him with our humility. A place of kneeling and hands up and looking up and saying, I can't do this, is powerful. It's powerful. And James, in, in James chapter four, he writes this, this New Testament passage that, that is just wild. I mean, James is a straight shooter and he gets all the stuff in in minimal words and verses. And he's really telling us that the same issues that exist today uh, are the ones that, that Zephaniah and them were dealing with back then. Starts off in, in verses one through five. And he's talking about these things that plague humanity. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely or is jealous for you. Those are hard words. It sounds like Zephaniah wrote them. It's in the New Testament. And with all the, the, the pointed hardness of those tough love words, there's still a remedy because God loves to heal and restore us. Listen to verses six through eight with me. They're gonna be on your screen. But he gives us more grace that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace or gives favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's real revival. Humbly come near to God and say, 
I cannot do this. I am stuck here. I need your help here. You're the only one. So I humbly come before you and I submit my life to you. And God says, I favor that. I pour grace on that. That's real revival. I come near to God with a humble heart and he comes near to me. And then verses 14 through 18 of Zephaniah that wraps up this first chapter, we see that God always works to destroy sin because he hates it. From Genesis 3.15, where the promise is made that he will make a way where there is no way to, to the Old Testament books like Zephaniah that, that speak some hard things, to the cross where the perfect creator who became a human to save us is crucified, is executed because of our sins by us to the book of Revelation that says one day the curtain will come down on this brokenness and those who believe in me will forever live in eternity perfect with me. That's, that's what God is doing. He is destroying sin in our lives he is bringing light into darkness where darkness cannot overcome it. And he's saying, follow me with a humble heart. It's always about defeating sin, defeating the enemy, and saving the ones he loves. The Trinity God made us not because he needed something. He made us because he's like, I want, I want something to pour our love into. We are so amazing as the Trinity God. We need nothing, but we want something to pour our love into. So he thought up mankind and he said, I'm creating humans and I'm gonna pour my love into them. And even when they fail, I will rescue them so I can show them how much I love them in the midst of their sin, but they still have to choose. The best remedy for sin and struggle and ought and and false in our lives is this. We come before a holy God and we open our lives up to him like James is saying here. We fall on the rock so the rock doesn't fall on us. And I think the best place to start is this prayer that you've heard me say a number of times over the years if you've been here from Psalm 139, 23, and 24, this this beautiful prayer by King David. A person who knew sin, he knew failure, he knew the love of God, he knew the forgiveness of God, he knew the pursuing heart of God, he knew what it meant to be held accountable and the sting that came with it in, a, in, a, in an instant, but the, the joy that came with it in fullness. He knew all this and he prayed this prayer in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, that is a lifestyle prayer for humility and repentance and sets us up for revival in our lives first and foremost every day if we will make this our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We ask the Holy Spirit Hey, show me. Reveal to me if there's anything in there I gotta deal with. The, the slightest sin issue to the, 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 the heaviest ignorance that I'm living in to the, to, the, to the most willful struggle that I'm choosing day by day, show me. 
reveal to me. We come and we humbly ask for God's forgiveness, his heart, his favor in our lives. Man, get inside my head, get inside my heart. Show me if there's anything from me or in me or that I'm looking at that offends you, God. Not because he's bringing the hammer down, but because he's bringing the love down. The hammer came down on Jesus. It's done. The hammer came down on Jesus. It's done. So don't put the hammer on yourself by living in that. Real revival comes from us going, I need you to show me, to reveal, to illuminate I need you to forgive me because you're the only one that can forgive. And I know you're a forgiving God, but I've got to be real with you. That's real revival. And it starts there. It starts from a humble heart that says, I can't do this and I need you. A heart that looks up and says, you're the only one. You're the only one. I love the stuff that's happened across really largely College campuses across our nation, a lot of you have read about it, you've read different things, uh, you, can, you can believe different things or whatever, but it started with a young man, I think it was a, man, a, 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 a male student, a young man who at one meeting just said, man, this is my sin issue, God forgive me. It started with a humble heart that said, forgive me, and it has swept through. And people can mock it all they want because they're going to mock freedom. People can try to religiousize it all they want. That's religion and it has to have structure and rules and, and all this. That. James 4, 7, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Here I am. Here I am. Here's my struggle. Here's what I've done. Here's what I don't know, but I know there's a block. Would you forgive me? Would you show me? Would you love me? That's where it starts. And if it doesn't start there, there will never be revival in your life. And I'm not saying the kind of revival that makes you go out across like campuses or churches or in different areas and, and have meetings. That's fantastic. I'm talking about the revival in your life that says sin will not have a place in my life and Jesus will have the only place in my life. That's revival. That Jesus, you're it. I just look to you. I love the old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Eyes up. Eyes up. And let his glory and grace just flood down. He longs to forgive, to bless, to favor, and to shower you with his love. But you gotta be real. Would you stand with me? We're gonna sing a number of songs here to close the service. And I'm just gonna encourage you to come to the altar. Just come, whatever it is, whether you're seeking or you're repenting or you're being broken or you just want maybe some set-aside moment with him in a way that says I'm putting action behind my obedience and my humility, just come up here. And if it gets too full up here, just get behind him. But as we worship these next three songs, just turn your heart over to God. God, you are worthy and you are holy, and you are gracious and loving. Heal us today. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit hcfburnit.org. 
and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.